When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Plays the Thing, your podcast for all things Shakespeare. You have joined us for the fifth act of All's Well That Ends Well. I am your host, Tim McIntosh. I'm Nora Ankrum. And I'm Matt Bianco. We're so glad that you joined us for this. Next week, there will be a Q&A. So if you have questions at the end of this act about anything that we've discussed, anything that we've neglected, something that you want to bring up for us to consider, please post it on the Facebook page. That Facebook page is hosted by our sister podcast, Close Reads. So if you go to Close Reads Podcast on Facebook, you'll find a long series of discussions on everything from Cormac McCarthy's latest novel, which I bought like immediately after it was released, to episodes of the plays the thing that's the place to put your questions so we would love to see you there okay so i'm going to jump right in last week we asked matt for some predictions okay so we had in act four a couple of traps had been set one trap was set for paroles this kind of cad who's this terrible influence on Bertram, who's kind of a hero. He's kind of, he's a main character. Um, So Paroles is this bad influence on Bertram. Bertram and two lords set up Paroles to basically, they kind of trap him and blindfold him. And Paroles turns out to be the cad that everybody says he was. He gives away all of the army's secrets. Of course, he doesn't really give them away because he's giving them away to Bertram and the Lords, but he gives away all these secrets. And at the end of Act Four, Paroles has been shamed. It's just terrible. We all know who he really is. And finally, even Bertram sees him for who he really is. Meanwhile, Bertram himself has been kind of like tricked. And he was tricked by Helena. And Helena set up a woman, Diane, this young maid, to kind of like let herself be seduced by Bertram. Bertram seduces her and he goes to bed with Diana, except it's not Diana. It's Helena herself, thus undoing the promise or the kind of swearing that Bertram did that he would never consummate the marriage with Helena. And also... In that process, he, excuse me, Helena gets the ring from him that is kind of like the thing that he also said, you'll never get this ring. And so it's kind of evidence now that they have consummated their marriage. And so at the end of Act 5, it's not been yet revealed to Bertram that he has fallen into this trap and he didn't sleep with Diana. He slept with his actual wife, Helena, 
And now everything is going to coalesce back at the Countess's house. The Countess, of course, is where Bertram and Helena knew each other because Bertram is the daughter of the Countess. And Helena was the servant to the Countess. The Countess loves Helena early in Act 5. There's kind of a reminder. Poor Helena. Everyone now believes she's dead. And when Act 5 opens, the Countess and Lafeu, who's kind of this good friend of the Countess's, are making arrangements for Bertram to marry Lafeu's daughter. So basically, everything that Helena is wanting to take place is coming unraveled. And in some ways, everything that Bertram wants, he's about to get. So that's where we are. Okay, Matt, last week, we asked you to make three predictions. And these predictions were based on you only having finished Act 4 and not having yet read Act 5, which is the way you've been treating this whole play. So you've been kind of like discovering and discussing as we go, <laughs> act by act. First question was about Paroles. What was going to happen to Paroles? Do you remember what you predicted? I think I said something like that I thought Paroles would be repentant and that his repentance would be an example to Bertram. Is that right? Okay. That's, that's what I remember. Is that what you remember, Nora? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Fortunately, we're not going to roll back the tape because who knows what I actually said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's something very much like that. Okay. Let's talk about that. It sounds like the first part of your prediction has come true. Paroles has returned to Bertram's house, the Countess's house, and he is employed by Lafeu. And he seems to me really repentant. Is that how you read him, Nora? Um, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. He, he still seems, uh, yes, he does seem that he's going to change course at this point. Yeah. Um, his motivations for doing so, I don't necessarily, I don't know that the, that the heart is repentant because he still seems like a pretty mercenary character to me. Um, say more, how come? Uh, well, I, I think, and maybe I, maybe I'm misreading this, but I think, um, toward the beginning of this act, he's, isn't he sort of, <laughs> isn't he sort of asking Lafeu for a job? Yeah. Yeah, he, he's he's saying, um, listen, some bad things happened to me. And Lafeu's like, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and he says, I was I was the first one to or Parole says, You were the first one to to find me out. And he says, Yep. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, So, uh, got any job openings? Uh -huh, <laughs> you, know? uh -huh. you have any use for somebody like me? Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's changing his course, but is it because he has to? Is it because he's been caught? And, you know, needs to survive. Yeah, right. I don't know. How did you read it? I read it as the man has hit rock bottom mm. and he has nowhere to go but up. And he has achieved some level of humility, which is the exact, exact thing that he has never had up until now in the play. But having said That's that, true. having said that, I can absolutely see an actor playing him as like, yeah, I'm a mercenary now that's been dethroned, but now I'm at the bottom and I'm going to keep doing the thing that I've always been doing, which is like searching for an angle. And like my angle now is instead of right. standing riches and money and women, it's going to be, I'm going to look for a job at the low, the, you know, the closest Lord that I can find. That's yeah, the, like this, this is the new role to play. Yeah, this maybe. is the new role and, to play. Yeah. And so, okay, that being said, that I can see Paroles being played either way. Mm. Let's now talk about Bertram. So I think my reading of Matt's prediction is that Bertram was going to see Paroles and be like, man, that's how you do it when you're kind of like, shown for who you really are and who you really are is not 
really respectable, that's when you have a hard look at yourself and that's when you change. Okay, I don't think that happens with Bertram, but I think that's only because there's just not a whole lot of, we, we just don't see the two of them alone on stage. And it seems like that would be a prerequisite for Matt's prediction to come true. We would have to see Bertram in some way say, oh, Paroles is undergone a change. Maybe I should think about my own life also, have a hard inner look, you know, and choose the good. So, Matt, do you read it that way, Matt? I, I, you know, something that's always um, struck me about Shakespeare, I think, I think, Tim, we might have actually talked about this way back when we did King Lear. Yeah. That I think... I think the um, repentance is a hard thing to portray in mm. in such a short play, mm. you know, like. And especially in a comedy. Oh, yeah, that's probably true, especially yeah. in a comedy. And and I think to some extent. I, I think Shakespeare just needs us to accept it. Huh. Like this, th this is genuine. Huh. Like, I would yeah. give you more clues if it weren't. This is genuine. Yeah. And it just is what it is. Right. So the um like it's he almost takes a shortcut, Shakespeare does, by presenting paroles the way he does, and then having Lefeu come along and say, All right, I'll we'll talk about this at my house. Yeah. And and then it's like the expectation is for us, maybe that. Prole said it, you know, said that he was repentant, I guess, that he wanted a fresh start. And then that, that Lefeu, who has otherwise been an honorable character, yeah, has agreed to have, you know, continued conversation with him to see about, you know, helping to rehabilitate him, indicates that Lefeu accepts the, accepts the, the change of heart. And so therefore we should. Yeah. But he's like letting that take place off stage. Yeah. So I, I think on that, I, I like just in light of that, I, I feel like I kind of have to accept it. Shakespeare hasn't given me any other reason not to. Yeah. Uh, at least not that I'm seeing anyhow. So then, how, then, then how does that fit with Bertram? Bertram's whole, Bertram's whole, man, <laughs> Bertram is such a complicated guy. Or not? Maybe he's just overly simple. Yeah. The like, I, it would. I I think I wanted Bertram to just come in and say, and just admit everything. Yeah. And then he did it. Mm, he right. just continues mm. to uh, to just ravel himself up in lies. Totally. Digging that hole. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. And like the fact that Lefeu catches on so quickly and says, "You can't marry my. He can't marry my daughter." Like that's good. Like I like that yeah. about yeah. Lefeu. You know. Um, and then, but, but anyway, so you have this Bertram who just keeps digging the hole and like all he cares about, it seems is, you know, having his cake and eating it too. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the, the having his cake, I guess, is to be able to sleep with Diana and whatever, you know, women he was, you know, hooking up with in, uh, in Florence there was it Florence, right? Where they were for war. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. Yeah. And then, but then being able to come home and marry a noble woman, right? That's really what he wanted, you know, some nobleman's daughter. And that, you know, Helen was Helena wasn't that, Diana wasn't that, but now Lafuse's daughter is. And so he's gonna get, you know, the other side of what he wanted. Yeah. And then and then when when that starts unraveling on him, he just digs the hole deeper. Mm. Right when yeah. I right when I think he's going to be when he needs to be repentant for me to for it to be believable he isn't Un until yeah. he is right until the very end when he is right exactly end, right like, up to the last page even yeah <laughs> yeah okay I I'd like to do this I want to interrupt our conversation for one second and I want to play that moment yeah where Bertram and Helena finally get together and I want to play a scene from. 
Shakespeare's Globe. This is a 2012 production. Ellie Piercy is playing Helena. Sam Crane is playing Bertram. And I just want everyone to hear how this production ends. Is there no exorcist beguiles the truer office of mine eyes? Is it real that I see? No, my good lord. Tis but the shadow of a wife you see. The name and not the thing. Both. Both. <laughs> Pardon. Oh, oh, my good lord. When I was like this maid, I found you wondrous kind. There's your ring. And look you, here's your letter. This it says, when from my finger you can get this ring and are by me with child, etc. <laughs> <laughs> now this is done. Will you be mine? You are doubly one. If she, my liege, can make me know this clearly, I love her dearly. Ever, ever dearly. If it appear not plain or prove untrue, deadly divorce step between me and you. Oh. Oh, my dear mother. What do I see you living? Oh. Mine eyes smell onions. <laughs> Weep, Anon. Good Tom Drum, lend me a handkerchief. So, I thank thee. Wait on me home, I'll make sport with thee. Let thy curtsies alone, they're scurvy ones. Let's us from point to point this story know to make the even truth in pleasure flow. If thou beest yet a fresh, uncropped flower, Choose thou thy husband, and I'll pay thy dower. <laughs> For I can guess that by thy honest aid thou kept'st a wife herself, thyself a maid. Of this and all the progress more and less resolvedly more leisure shall express. All yet seems well, and if it end so meet, the bitter past, more welcome, is the sweet. The king's a beggar now the play is done. All is well ended. If this suit be one that you express content, which we will pay with strife to please you, day exceeding day, ours be your patience then, and yours our parts. Your gentle hands lend us and take our hearts. So there it is, a 2012 production from the Shakespeare Globe, and it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful in that Bertram finally sees Helena, right? Helena has been our great hero this whole time. She's had to, you know, pull a couple tricks out of her bag, but she pulled the tricks out of her bag, and now everything kind of syncs up, and Bertram finally sees Helena for who she is, and he's in love and he's grateful. And we even see, Matt, we're going to jump ahead to your prediction about Diana. You're going to have to remind us in a second what you predicted. But Diana even gets like her choice of men from the court, which is the same thing that happened with Helena after Helena saved the king from illness. Now, Diana, for doing this kind of strange service, she gets to choose, you know, a man from the court to marry. And so her fortune's about to turn around. And even, you know, mother and Helena are reun re reunited. Everything turns out great. Okay. My question is, did you like the 2012 production ending? Or did you think, ugh, it's, the, it's like a little bit, too quick of a wrap up. It doesn't seem like Bertram has really had enough time to actually become a different guy. What do you think, Nora? I liked it. It is quick for sure. Um, but it, it's also a Shakespearean comedy and that, that tends to happen quickly. Marriages and, and happy endings tend to tend to go for it. Um, but I, I think, I think that can work really well if uh, if it's earned 
Mm. Right. So, um, and, and by earned, I mean, by the, by the actors and by the, the, the tone of that last, that whole last scene, really the whole play, but that whole last scene specifically, um, I think this is a parallel with Paroles, um, with his encounter with Lefeu, um, where he is, as, as Matt said, you know, he's at rock bottom and this is his change of heart because he, he has to. Um, and I think we have to see Bertram getting to, rock bottom um and and the scene sets it up fine but he has to the the actor himself would have to portray it as oh my gosh like i'm about to lose Mm -hmm. everything like my Mm -hmm. life uh, you know my chickens have come home to roost in a big way all at the same time right and then helena is as as we've you know sort of portrayed her throughout this um is is seen as as the savior right she comes in and she absolutely redeems literally everyone in the situation yeah right so i think i think that interpretation can work um really well but i think again you have to you have to earn it yeah so at the beginning of the audio that we listened to nora we can hear the audience they're giggling they're laughing like that production has set up the final scene so well that the audience is like they want the marriage to happen. They are so ready for Helena to be back from the supposed dead. They're ready for, you know, Helena, for, for Bertram to see Helena finally after all of his lies have been found out. Um, and so it seems to me like that production really played it well because it's so clear. The audience is ready for all the good things yeah and you know at that point they can't they the audience still can't harbor any sort of pity toward bertram at that point they 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 have to know like he really does deserve all of this like it's it's very convoluted and how it all came about but it's his fault and you know no one on stage until helena enters can save him Right. He has he has made this this web and and this is the one person. And so her entrance should be this like, oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of what I that's kind of what I felt like the audience was doing. And then, you know, that that thread continues when Diana is um, is absolved and is is you know, given her choice of husband and all of that. And and all is all is made right. Right. Which is what we want at the end of a comedy. All is made right. Exactly right. Um, one other thought before I ask you, Matt, what you thought about that, that ending. Um, Nora, they cast Bertram really young. I noticed. Did you notice? I like, did. Really? Like he almost looks like, like maybe he's 25. He could probably yes. pass for 21. He's super yes. young. And I know, um, I know the listeners, they won't, they won't see it, um, but they should look it up for sure. Because they should. The, the way that that young man, um, the dis almost like disbelief, the desperation uh-huh. that was like, and and the the relief that was leaving, you know, that he expressed when Helena yeah. was there finally, and and again, like this is going to be the only happy moment we see between them the entire play, um, so it should be this giant like, <sighs> yeah, you know, like finally, and and you really do see it in his face, and it's so ah, uh, it's it's like, it's naive and it's young and it's innocent. And it's, it's this, you've saved me from myself. Yeah. Right. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, it's really it's, great. Yeah. Um, Matt, the ending that we just listened to, what do you think? Um, I, I like it. I, I, I basically agree with everything you just said, Nora, I, the, Clearly, the actors must have, yeah, earned it or however, you know, they set it up well. Um, I do. I was thinking that, you know, the thing that makes the thing that makes the repentance hard to believe in in a play like this, or I think even as you said, Nora, in comedies generally, is that it comes so quickly. And in order for that to be believable, there have to be I think there has to be clues earlier on that that helped to make it believable even if they don't make it predictable and so maybe you know maybe paroles 
you know, that his friend was able to repent makes it easier for, makes it more believable that he too would repent. Everybody seems to believe. Well, so there, there are some clues in act four, I think when it, when it tells us that he found out that she died Mm. and it seems Mm -hmm. to indicate that, that he was affected by it. And then at the beginning of act five, when he first meets up with the King, the King seems to believe him that he really did love her, but he didn't know it until after she was dead. Yeah. And that, you know, he said, has that line about, you know, the dust that, that her death removed the dust from his eye and he was able to see what he hadn't been able to see before. Yeah. So there's those like kind of clues, right. That are, that are coming, but they, but they also could be clues in the reverse, right. If he doesn't repent, then it could be clues that he, that here's, he's the type of guy that just says what the King wants to hear, but because he sure. doesn't repent, then maybe there are signs that he was speaking the truth. Right. And now he's on his way to repentance. And then when it comes, it becomes a little bit, you know, just a little bit more believable. So I thought, I thought that I, it seemed to me like those players played the play the way Shakespeare wanted it to be played. Right. Like as a comedy, as a, that ends with the wedding that's believable and lovely. And, and the viewer gets that mm-hmm. watching them, you know, Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing. My wife and I have been watching all five series of The Wire, which is like, I think the best thing that's ever been put on television ever. And it's very Shakespearean in a lot of ways. Like the language is really intricate and elevated and poetic in a lot of ways. Okay, so don't listen to the next 60 seconds if you ever want to see the last season of The Wire. There's a character named... Okay, I'll mute you. I've never <laughs> just, seen. No, just fast forward for the next yeah. thirty seconds. Okay. I can't. I'm here with you live. What do you want me to you do? Need to, you, you need to just forget what I'm going to say. Your You're going to have to forget what I'm going to say, Matt. Or turn off my ear. Yeah, yeah. You need. You need to have already seen that series, Matt. Oh, I'm putting it back on you, man. Um, there's a character named Bubbles who has been a drug addict for four seasons and he's done terrible things, but he, you can just see like his heart has always been about he's, he wants to do good, Mm. but he's just chained to the dragon and he can't do anything. And then in the fifth season, slowly, 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 he is getting, he's getting off drugs. He's going to meetings and Every episode, you're like, please let this be the moment because he mm. has to kind of break down in order for like the, the final transformation to happen. He just has to finally break down and he's trying to not break down. And you're just we're waiting the entire season for it to happen. Matt, that's all I'll say. It might not happen. OK, I want to contrast what's going on with Bubbles with what happens with Bertram. With Bubbles. There is a change that he sees the good and he's after it. It's just like, can he get there? Yeah. Can he kind of like, can he admit to himself and publicly the things that he's done? But it's like, it's, it's the transformation is from within. By contrast, I think Bertram if we believe the ending of the play, that there's a real change that's taking place, and I do believe it, it's almost like what, what a Protestant theologian would call like the alien righteousness or the alien justification of God, that it's this justif- it's this, it's this righteousness that has come mm. from outside Bertram in the form of Helena, and that's mm. the thing that he goes toward. That's the thing that he's like, I have to have that. Like, I'm not transformed. There hasn't been enough time in this play. But through her, I can become a different sort of man. Does that make sense, Nora? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And and I think think what you're alluding to with The Wire is, is sort of what I meant by earning it. Um, and and what Matt referenced in um, Act Four when Bertram hears of Helena's death, um, in order for that last scene to work to be believable, that starts 
starts way early, but it certainly is important in act four that we see something, something real of him when he learns mm-hmm. that she's died. And and he should be different as a character from that point forward. Now, the the great thing about the plot is that from that point forward, he's not he's not driving anymore. His you know, his, his actions yeah, and his consequences right. are driving now. So he has realized, if you play it that way, he has realized what's happened. He's realized what he's done. But then we need to see it piling on him, right? Um, but but like you yeah. said, with, um, with the Bubbles character, um, you saw him for four seasons and you knew you were cheering for him, right? Like you wanted him to get better. You wanted him to make this decision and, and, um, make this, this change. It wasn't like this, this guy's just a waste. Like he's, this guy is, you know, lost, right. Um, you don't believe that about, you can't believe that about Bertram if, if you want that last scene to work. And, and of course we want it to work. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Matt, did I ruin the wire for you, man? Is that what's going That's on? Fine. Is that what's going on over there? Fine. I'm just, it's the um, my eyes smell onions. <laughs> I love that line. And that actor delivered that it so perfectly. So it was great. Well, that was great. The audience like was so ready for that. It was so yes. well done. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I, that 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 description that description that I mean from both of you that that Bertram needs her and and that he's not driving that's i i I think that's that's really helpful to understand i mean to 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 see the play perhaps i guess the way i feel like it was intended because the you know the question that could have arisen at this point was well is fine all's well that ends well but he was he was still manipulated he was still deceived and and then you know does that does that does that require us to you know just are we doing like moral gymnastics here to make this all good and fair um what's interesting is it, it it reminded me of two things one, the story of Tamar in the Old Testament, where mm. I think is it Judah when he's an old man or somebody that he's supposed to give her his one of his sons and he doesn't want to. Whoever it is, it's one of the it's one of the you know kind of the patriarchs. The, the you're you're not thinking Israelites. of um, Rachel Rachel and Leah. No, okay. There's another one where a young lady. I think her name was Tamar. She was married to one of their son, one of the sons, and then that son died. Mm. And then the father was supposed to give her to the brother, you know, her brother, her brother-in-law. And he didn't. And then he said, but I have this younger son. And when he gets older, I'll let you marry him. Mm. And then when that son gets older, he doesn't. Mm. Right. And so then Tamar, right. Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute and goes and waits in the way where she knows he's going to be traveling. And then he goes to her and he buys her and, um, I, she does the same thing. She makes him give her his ring. Hmm. And then he sleeps with her and then he goes home and then she comes back. She shows up and says, you know, tells him what she did, tells him what he did. He denies it. She shows him the ring. And then he, he confesses, you are more righteous than I am. Mm-hmm. I should have kept my word and gave you the husband. You just, you were, you were warranted and I didn't. So it kind of reminds me of that story where like that's kind of the only recourse uh, I don't know, only but that, that that was you know the recourse that she had to bring about justice and the bringing about of justice was more important mm-hmm. the overall justice was more important than than the particular justice if i can put it that way and it and it reminded oh, me of something that i heard from a from a you know i don't know christian speaker uh pastor or something said that you know, we, we tend to think of, we tend, we tend to think of like certain sins as being worse than others, mm. but which is, which might be true, right? There might be some sins that are worse than others kind of on a general level, but there are also some sins that are worse for me mm. than there are other sins for me. Right. And he was saying that, that 
you know, one, one of the one of the jobs of the Christian is to be is to have gratitude for all things, including the bad things that happen to us. And he said that a, a man who is a man who is um, who has a very strong sense of pride, ego, whatever. If, if that man were to fall into adultery, that the adultery may have been allowed in order like this, this, the sin of adultery may have been allowed in order to bring about repentance toward his pride. Mm. And that, and that in that case, the sin was being used as a corrective, right. As a, a healing thing for this greater sin that was afflicting him. Mm. And, and that, you know, so in that, in that sense, like we need to have gratitude, I guess, for the sin, but gratitude for the learning that comes from it, I guess. And I don't know. So, so all of that was kind of running through my head. Sorry, this is taking so long to express, but all that thing, all that was kind of running through my head and wondering if that's really the kind of situation here where, where, you know, certain things have to be done to, yeah, to bring about yeah, this, greater, yeah. this greater justice. Right. And he sees that it's, he seems to see that at the end, like that, like the line, the most believable lines, perhaps for me, I guess, is, is especially the way that guy delivered it in the in the play there um is when he when she says in name only but not the thing mm-hmm. and then he says both both oh pardon mm-hmm. like that's that's it right there right like that's the right that's the moment where he says no you're both you're both forgive me right? yeah yeah mm. yeah that is that's that's probably the that's the line where the key turns the lock for the whole play. Yeah. It's probably that line. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one you were waiting on, you know, uh-huh. through the uh-huh. whole play. Yeah. For sure. Um, so mm. what I want to do, I mean, I I feel like we've got, if we can believe Bertram's change, which it sounds like we all want to believe, and this clip that we played, it's just a great, I think, rendering of how we want that play to end, right? So we have knitted everything up about this play in a way that's really, really satisfying, especially for a comedy. Um, so I want to ask each of you for like your last and like overall view of the play. But before we do that, Nora, you just received a big grant for the work that you've done with the West Virginia Shakespeare Festival. I just didn't want to wait until the end to talk about this. This is just really, this is really terrific. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, sure. So um, this, uh, I actually just received word that we were granted um, another, it's called a, a major grant from the West Virginia Humanities Council for the 2023 West Virginia Shakespeare Festival. So this will be, uh, this is the third year in a row that we have received this particular grant. And it's very specific because the Humanities Council is not, um, it's it's not in the arts world, it's, it's in the humanities and um, literature and more academic uh, world. So it's, uh, it has allowed us and will continue now to allow us to include um, lectures and workshops and demonstrations and now an educational touring performance um, as part of the West Virginia Shakespeare Festival um, in 2023. So. And this is similar to the work that you did in 2022 around Taming of the Shrew. Is that right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that year we, we added the educational touring um, and we did the Taming of the Shrew. We modified it to take it to local schools and community centers and uh, provided that at a discounted rate and, and actually a couple of free performances as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that. I'm just so happy to hear that. We're so happy for you. Yeah, it was um, it was actually great. We had some really great feedback from some of the students. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. I'd never done school performances or anything like that. And several of the students told us that this was uh, the Taming of the Shrew Hour production was their first ever Shakespeare that they had ever been exposed to. Um, and some of them, their first play ever of yeah. anything. Um, and these were all high school wow. students. So, and they were all hooked, you know, they wanted more, they wanted to know more. In fact, one of their teachers was, was texting me even a couple of days later saying, Oh, here's more questions from my students about this scene or about this choice that you made or, you know, whatever. So they were really, they were engaged and, um, 
and interested. So I was really, that's really great. happy about that. Yeah. That's really, really great. I'm so glad about that. I heard someone say once that you can only like Shakespeare if you've acted him and that you can't like Shakespeare <laughs> if you just read him. <laughs> Who said that? Who said that, Matt? <laughs> Oh, this guy, he's, I can't, where is he from? Seattle or Atlanta or both? I don't know. So Matt is making a reference to um, a series of classes that I did with Classical U. Look, I'm going to take this and turn it into a plug for myself. Do it. Um, and, and my kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it. My deep conviction is that we have we have lots and lots of students who graduate from high school not liking Shakespeare because the way that they've encountered Shakespeare is by that we kind of like as literature teachers have forced them to read Shakespeare and not yes. gone to see plays and yes. not like ask them to stand up on their feet and try to act and, and just do it yeah and just, just do, do it. it totally absolutely so absolutely Nora I don't think you had signed on yet last week when Matt said dude, I read Shakespeare when I was in high school and I loved it. And my son read Shakespeare when he was in high school and he loved it. And so my counter to that is like, that's awesome. But you're in the minority. You are in the minority. Did you have a good, yeah. did you have a good teacher? Did you have a, someone that engaged the text with you? Yeah. Did you? I don't, I don't, re I have no, no, no fond recollections of that teacher. I mean, she may have been with the, with the plays particularly, but I have no recollection of her being a good teacher. Um, and and setting aside Tim's wonderful compliment that I'm a unicorn of some sort. <laughs> you are. The, <laughs> the, <laughs> I, I mean, to even say that there is a minority is to say that your statement was wrong. Wait, I don't but, follow you know, that logic. What do you mean? Oh, oh, because he said the only way because he made it exclusive. Is that what you mean? Yeah, he made it. Oh, he I made see. it this okay. grand, exclusive, <laughs> mutually exclusive statement, and then you know whatever. I agree with you, Tim. I think you're right. I think uh, getting on your feet and and just reading and wrestling with the text is the absolute best. Maybe it's not the only way, but it is certainly the best way to approach it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know when. Wait. So are you are you involved with um? With drama or putting on plays at all? <laughs> Be uh, careful, Nora. This is a setup. This is just what <laughs> this is like. We he learned from this play how to set traps, <laughs> and he's setting a trap for you. <laughs> yes, yes, Matt. I've put on a play or two oh. in my day. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. I, let me introduce you to my friend Bias. <laughs> okay, Matt, I'm going to push back at you. If you ever wanted to act, Matt, you would be really good. You would be really, really good. You've got like, you got it all. You got it all. Maybe I should write the unicorn. A little, yeah, you got the unicorn <laughs> horn. You got everything. No, you got like you got so much like life and energy. You'd be a great actor. Okay. I mean, I, I always wanted to be an actor. Like there's a, the college down here does puts on plays and they let people from the local community do it, but I just never have time for the yeah rehearsals and the oh, It's such a huge commitment. It's such a huge commitment. As yes. Nora knows better than anybody. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> we just closed the show last night, actually. <laughs> well, um, I just want to say, because I didn't, I just want to say congratulations, Nora. I think that's thank really, you. really cool. Thank That's you. So I'm really excited. So good for you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. More, more details doing, to come. You're doing comedy of errors, correct? Uh, we haven't we haven't entirely decided yet. Okay. Um okay. that's on the table. That's okay. yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't know how you follow Taming of the Shrew with anything other than all's well that ends well. No, but, but. I can tell you we are definitely not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I really want the high schoolers to keep <laughs> being engaged, but not for those reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So listen, um, last thoughts. I'm going to start with you, Matt. Overall impressions of this play it can be anything, um, the, 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 whatever the tablet is yours, write whatever you would like to write on it. Overall impressions of all's well that ends well. You know, you know, what struck me about, about the play 
which really kind of came to the fore in watching that clip is that I never, I'd never, I'd never, I don't have any recollection of reading it as funny. Mm. Like I don't ever remember, have any, I have no memory of ever laughing while I was reading it. Um, so for me, it was a comedy in the sense of the, the ending, not in the sense of it being funny, but in the play that we watched the clip there, the, the, the audience is laughing. Out I know. And you don't do that at the very end of a play where you haven't been doing it the whole time. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. like they had to have been kind of geared up to be in a laughing mood. And so it seems like, it seems like there's things that I missed and I need to go back and read it again. Mm. Um, probably some, there's probably some puns in there and, and, you know, thinking about, you know, I, I like what you guys do, even though I think you make too much of it, but um, I think <laughs> I like what you guys do in, in thinking about how different actors might stage the play, mm. you know, their, their expressions or their tone of voice or whatever. And, you know, to think about that and like the, was it the King or whoever was just, or Lefew that was just, his eyes were like, what, you know, and he's got this like expression that when she comes out that, that was also like that was also some really great camera work. All, you know, by the way, that the, yeah. whoever was editing that video, that was that was pretty great to to catch that guy in the in the yeah. scene. Yeah, his eyes yeah. were hilarious. Because that you know, I think it was some of those expressions that were making people laugh, right? Like how sure. exaggerated her shock was. Um, but like thinking about that kind of stuff and the um, I don't know, I, I I thought all of that was that was all, all of that kind of stuff makes me want to reread the reread the play um overall i think it i think i think it succeeds in in what it's doing i don't think it forces anything um which what i was afraid of going into act five like i was kind of kind sure. of afraid to read Act Five. either, either that it wouldn't be a comedy at all mm-hmm. and it would just be a comedy of name only but it's both both oh pardon <laughs> and um and so I was, I was pleased with that. The, 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 here's the, the thing. The one thing, though, that I felt, I don't know if, it, if I feel cheated or if I feel like I'm, Shakespeare kind of revealed his secret or I'm just reading too much into it. But the, when I read it, when I read it earlier today and you get to the epilogue. Mm. Yeah. The, the epilogue almost, well, when I watched the demonstration of it, the play, the, the video clip, I didn't feel this way, but this is how I felt when I read it. It felt like the epilogue was Shakespeare's way of saying, I had to do this. I had to end this too quickly. So I'm going to have the king come out here and, you know, beg your pardon and beg for your applause that you would, that you would applaud this comedy that didn't get to be fully a comedy that's kind of how it felt to me hmm. reading it but i didn't feel that in the watching of it so so those last lines the king's a beggar now the play is done all is well ended if this suit be one that you express content which we will pay with strife to please you day exceeding day ours be your patience then and yours our parts your gentle hands lend us and take our hearts and and for you, Matt, it kind of felt like a little bit of an excuse, like, hey, I wish I could have had some more time to kind of um, really show the internal maturation of Bertram. Hey, it's a play, though. I got to wrap things up. You kind of read it a right. little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I, I would definitely grant you that. Nora. I suppose it could be. Yeah. Overall impressions of the play. What would you rate it on your shakespeare meter? Oh man, oh. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna rate it. I'm gonna put it in a category though, um, okay. the, because we've been talking about performing it or, or whatever, and that's of course where I go when I think about these plays, um, because that's how they were written. The the intention mm-hmm. was for them to be performed, um, and and I think Shakespeare would be very impressed with how deeply we're reading him. <laughs> um, yeah, and as far as that epilogue, uh, that's that's pretty. Uh, typical of the uh, the endings of comedies specifically specifically I'm thinking of A Midsummer Night's Dream and um, 
as you like it. They both end with similar sort of epilogues. And maybe that is the reason. Maybe the reason is, okay, it's a play. Hope you yeah. feel great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, we got anyway, a bow the, on it. Yeah. 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 It is. It's the bow. It's the yeah. bow. And I mean, he's literally asking for applause. Give us your hands. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, he is. Uh, but I, I think I, I would not, I would not perform I would not recommend performing this play just because there are so many pitfalls and being able to sit and talk about it is great. And that's, you know, when we do our tour, we always have a talk back with it because there's not, you know, that, that's a great opportunity to explore it deeper. But even with that, I don't know that I would, um, but I do think this would be a great teaching play, a great workshop for, mm. um, for, for actually kind of what Matt was saying for intention and action, um, and being able to play different, uh, different motivations. Like it would be really fun to take a class through this play, um, start to finish with Bertram older and Helena younger and then switch it. Right. Or with Bertram as actually repentant at the end versus not. And how does that play differently? And, you know, you don't have the stakes of actually putting on a full, full out performance with an audience, um, but to be able to, to, because I think the storyline is good enough to be able to, um, to work it through and, and, and all of those details, we, we didn't really talk about the convoluted plot, but you know, like, aha, here's this ring, remember from yeah, like act yeah. two, <laughs> you know, and right. here's this letter from act one. It, it, it's very, uh, complicated as, as a lot of his comedies tend to be, but it's, there aren't a ton of holes in this one. Um, so it's a good one to sort of work through, I would think as an exercise or as a class. I don't know. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I agree. I agree because to be able, yeah, especially with showing intention as an actor, I think this play would really require a lot of that, a lot of kind of like near expert work in intention. And so, yeah, Yeah, I I think think it'd be a great teaching play for, for young actors. Yeah. You know what I would like to see? Nora, make this happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> your next, your next I would grant. like to see. <laughs> I would like to see a weekend, like a weekend all's well that ends well festival. And on Friday, you do the play with with it, it being a, a darker version of the play. Mm. where the the repentance is not not full the there's you know some sideways glances some sarcasm Mm. dark dark the humor is darker and everything and it's and it and it and it it really pushes to the limit that bertram and even proles and and company don't don't repent and that helena is and it pushes helena more as being more manipulative. Mm. And then the next day doing the play again, preferably for the exact same audience. But now you 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 reverse it, right? Where it's yeah. more believable. The the maybe maybe in this one you've got the the older Helen and the younger and the younger uh Bertram, you've got the 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 comedic aspect of it really coming out, but you know, the way, the way the the globe did there in the, in the version we saw, and you put those two side by side and then you have, and then you have a talk back of that, like how, which did they feel was, you know, how did the audience respond to that? Yeah. Like what was there, what was more believable to them and so on. Right. Matt, that is such a great idea. That's really such a, such a clever idea. My question is, which one should be viewed first and which one should be viewed second? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a great question. If I had all the money in the world, I would just, I would just do them in rep over and over and just whichever one you come to first, go to the other one. Yeah. 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 For me, I think doing the more hopeful and let's call it more innocent version goes first. Mm. Um, it, it, in, in a way, it's like that kind of, and then the more, um, maybe more skeptical or maybe more realistic version goes second. I think that's a little bit about how, um, I guess the human 
mind works, like you begin with wonder and intrigue and hopefulness, and then you can kind of like see the shortcomings in it. Mm. And then hopefully you come back to it. Hopefully you come back to it. But it seems like you start with your ideal and you ask questions of, from the ideal. You ask questions of the ideal. But you don't start with it. You don't start with just kind of like the, the like harsh realism first. I mean, Matt, this is an opportunity to talk about Circe. Like it seems to me like it's a, a putting the awe back in education seems to me like a central tenet of what the Circe Institute was about is about. And maybe um, because it's so crucial to the development and maturation of young people as they grow to be adults. You have mm. to give them the ideals. And those have been in so many ways kind of sucked out of education by like, the modern establishment. Am I just mm. putting words in your mouth, Matt? Uh, not in my mouth. <laughs> putting them all over the Cersei webpage. Though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, the Kenneth Branagh version of Cinderella was one of my favorite of all like the fairy tale remakes that they did over the mm. last what 10 years. Um, precisely because he let the fairy tale be the fairy tale mm. and he didn't introduce any sort of irony or sarcasm or you know, it was just yeah. yeah, none of it, it was just pure fairy tale uh. live action with adults, you know, and it was wonderful. And really? It was so refreshing to see to let the the thing be the thing mm. and um and i wonder you know because this is after years of getting all these remakes and these kind of anti-fairy tale fairy tales like stories uh, and yeah yeah the backstory stuff and the shrek kind of flipping it upside down thing and mm. all that stuff um and then he comes along, you know, Branagh comes along and just lets Cinderella be Cinderella. And it was, it was wonderful. Mm. Um, and I wonder if, I wonder if an audience would, would choose one or the other based on their kind of personal preferences. Um, I like these darker stories better than these kind of, you know, sappy romances or whatever. Or if they would, if it would kind of draw out like, maybe the the modern day human craving for a certain kind of story yeah. i don't want to make any assumptions about which one would be the winner or whatever right. you know but right so i want to um, i want to i want to posit that we add a third so what if yeah. what if in our hypothetical festival we we do one show and it's hopeful and then the the um more sarcastic one but what if the hopeful one is like pollyanna hopeful like oh. overly, overly innocent, over like nothing is bad in the entire world. No, none of these things are bad things to happen to anybody. Um, just sort of that naivete, right? And then you flip it on its head and and do the dark part. And then the third one is is hopeful, but it's a mature and um, uh, knowing and wiser hope, like a more realistic, which is, mm. I I think is reflective of of my experience with Cersei for sure. Yeah, that's the one I want to see. Yeah, I want to see the third one, Nora. Yeah, I want to see all three of them. Why can't I see all? I want to see all three of them, Nora. What are you doing? Why are you still here and you're not already playing this festival? Just find me a grant. We'll do it. That's fine. <laughs> uh, you guys, I want to thank you for coming on the show. We've got one more episode next week. The Q and A. Uh, I want to encourage our listeners. Like I said at the top of the show, if you've got questions or comments, things that we missed, things that you wanted us to highlight, please drop us a question on the Close Reads Facebook page. We would love, love, love to hear from you. Um, and that's how we'll wrap up All's Well That Ends Well next week. After that is a two-part Life of Shakespeare um, that I have been planning to do for a long time, and I just recorded it. So once we finish the Q&A here, that will be released shortly after, followed by not one Q&A, but two Q&As about the life of Shakespeare. One of them is going to come from listeners, and one of them is going to come from um, a family. I'm kind of like an uncle to these kids, 
And I have asked that family to come up with any and all questions that they can imagine about the life of Shakespeare. So the kids' age range from two to, I think the oldest that's living in the house now is probably 22. So we'll see how that goes. Until then, everyone. Yeah, yeah, please, Matt. One I just want to ask the people who are going to post in the Facebook group about what the questions for next week. I think they should also be required to tell us which hypothetical version they think. they Oh, I like that. I like that. That's a great idea. That way, that way we have a base of what people think they would like best. Okay. And then when Nora does the festival, <laughs> gets the results from that. It's she just, can a, it's just the a research that's right. ahead of time. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I appreciate that. That's Thank perfect. you. <laughs> okay, you have to tell us which one you like which best. Which one? Yeah. yeah. Post it on the Close yeah. Reads Facebook And then page. ask your question too. <laughs> perfect. Hey, you guys, thanks so much. And we'll see you in a week. Okay. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.